Hey, good morning, North. How are you? Yeah, awesome, good, excellent. If you will indulge me for just a moment, I would like to wish my wife a happy anniversary. Today is, yeah. Today is our 24th wedding anniversary, and we get to spend it with all of you. You're invited to our anniversary party. Welcome. She's shaking her head. Pray for me when I get home. But I love you. She's enduring both, both sermons today, the early service and this service, but thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look quickly into 3 and 4, but then we'll spend the bulk of our time at 5 if you just want to go there now. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about justification, and that is a uh, big churchy word. It is a, uh, doc, a doctrine of the church and our theology, but what it means is to declare someone righteous or in right standing. Um, we had a, uh, an activity that would go on in my parents' home, not, not necessarily a tradition, but something that we conditioned um, kids to do. And that was in my parents' home. I think my sister started this, that if my brother, who's kind of a, kind of a hard guy, um, disciplinarian with his kids, if he was about to get on to one of my nephews, his kids, my sister would say, run to Papa, run to Papa. And the kids would run to my dad, our dad. And he'd scoop them up and he'd put them in his lap and he'd say, oh, you're not gonna get them while they're on my lap or you think you're gonna get them, you gotta get me first, you know. And so there was this constant thing that whenever the kids were gonna get scolded, you'd hear somebody when all families together, run to Papa, run to Papa. And the kids knew that they were, they were safe uh, with him. Um, if you are a grandparent, I don't advise doing this because it makes for some really awkward conversations with your kids about disciplining their own kids as they try to uh, not spare the rod and try to not spoil the child. But hey, listen, if you're a grandkid in the room, man, go for it. There is no safer place than in the arms of your grandparents. Um, but that's kind of a picture of, of, of justification that God allows us to, to run to him, to come to him. And what we may be guilty of can't touch us, can't hurt us. We've been, we've been justified. We've been declared in the right standing or the right place with, with God. And um, in Scripture, it has to do with people like us, people like me, who are, are, are born into sin, who have a, have a sin nature, somehow now being declared righteous before God and being in, and invited into the right standing or the right relationship with him. It's a declaration over our lives uh, whereby the unholy, me, you, people, has now been declared holy and deemed worthy of, of, of communion and relationship with God. And so there's just this dramatic change that takes place in us in justification, um, spiritually speaking, but it also has practical effect in our lives. There's, there's something produced in justification that Romans is going to talk about. And so the, the epistle of Romans or the letter to the Roman church, I think is one of the greatest discourses in how to understand God's plan, his plan of salvation, his plan over, over time. It speaks to maybe more than any other single book of, of, the, of the Bible, speaks to the theology of our salvation. Justification is right there at the center of it. It is very easy for us to, to recognize sin when we see it, Right? All the saints have showed up. All the sinners have left the building. I understand it's getting quiet out there. Um, 
listen, I know you and I know me. Falling into sin, succumbing to sin, that's not very difficult for us to do as humans. Okay, half of you are being honest now. Good, good. Romans, the book of Romans brings all of that into view and, and, and explains what, what, what God's plan was and what he's done to deliver us from that lifestyle, what he's done to deliver us from that reality of being dead in our sins. And, and today we're going to look at a key passage, I think, that answers a lot of big questions, um, even for followers of Jesus, maybe to give us fresh eyes and new eyes about what justification means and, and, and therefore, how do we see the world around us? What's our, what's our place in the world um, you know, how do we move through life with hope? How do we move through life with, with, with joy and assurance? And, and if you're a skeptic in the room or maybe watching this uh, online with one of our, our, our website or Facebook or, or whatever, and you're not convinced yet about the Christian message and the u- uniqueness and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I hope that, that what we're going to study today in, in Romans 5 sounds like good news to you. I really do. Because I think it can answer some big questions like, is God angry with me? Um, where do I fit in? How does God see my past? What hope for me is there in the future? Why does God let me or my loved ones suffer? And then how can I make it through this life? I think the text we're gonna look at today lends explanation to all those questions and, and probably more. So my desire this morning is to explain and even magnify what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ, what he's made available to all of us so that we might believe and so that we might be changed by that belief, that it would get deep into our hearts, into our minds, and we would live according to God's words. Does that sound good? That's, that's my hope. That's my goal in, in, in sharing this message this morning. But if you would, let's, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, Jesus, what you did on the cross. We've been singing about you all morning. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, God. Give me the ability to share what you have put in my heart this week. Give us all the ability, God, to focus in, to to open our hearts, to open our minds to truth, your truth, your word. The Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Confirm it in our hearts as truth. And if there are unbelievers, and I pray there are, skeptics maybe listening, oh God, would you confirm it as truth for them? Your personal invitation, your, your, your love song to them to come to you, see what you've done, God. Change us all, I pray. Make us more like you, Jesus. It's in your name I ask. Amen. So in the first four chapters of Romans, um, Paul gives us this overview. He gives us an understanding of what's wrong with the world. If you ever read Romans 1, wow, so much packed in there about sin and, and its apparent rise uh, that we see, but also about God's coming judgment against sin. Paul then moves to showing us the insufficiency or the limits of the law or, or works um, in trying to justify people, trying to justify mankind. Paul is showing that works do not cut it in our effort to be justified or, or to be made right or be declared right uh, before God. Law keeping couldn't cut it. Paul points all this out because our efforts have nothing to do with the doctrine of justification. One more time, our efforts have nothing to do with the doctrine of justification. It's just, it's just beyond our control. Now, if we stopped right there, this wouldn't sound like good news to anyone at all if I just said, hey, Paul did a great job in pointing out how the world is lost in sin and we can't do anything about it. That's not good news yet. But the good news is that God himself entered into his creation to deal with sin. 
to do what uh, Paul wrote about in another, another epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, he uh, who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be declared what? The, the righteousness of God. You know that scripture. Very good. That we might be declared the righteousness of God. That's the declaration of justification over our lives, over anyone who would believe that we're now called the righteousness of God. So, after talking about the inadequacy of, of works in the law, Paul shifts in Romans 3 to, to give us or to announce a little bit of this hope. It's gonna be on the screens, Romans 3, 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That means that the Old Testament, all the Old Testament law and the writings and all the prophets, they testify or they were bearing witness or pointing to the future to say, this, this is how it's going to be fulfilled. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So justification is declared over our lives. It's a, it's a declaration that we are made right and we don't earn it. As a matter of fact, we, we absolutely don't deserve it. But the text says that God has made it available to us freely by his grace to take us in the sinful state that we're born into and that we, we, we so easily walk into of being sinful. But then he takes us from that state and he makes us clean and he says that we're now right and that we're put in, in the right standing with him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul begins to paint that in chapter three. But in chapter four, he comes back and says that the people of God were never really justified by the law. The people of God were always justified by faith. And he uses Abraham as the example. Abraham known as, as the father of faith and, and the one who was called the friend of God. And, and he says that, that, that if we believe God and we put our faith into him, that it's credited to us as righteousness. Let's pick it up in Romans 4, starting in verse 22. That is why, quote, it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone. Who's the him that he's talking about here? Abraham. It's not written for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This whole idea of, of, of faith and that being credited to us as, uh, as righteousness was not just for Abraham. The, the, the credit or the, or the declaration of being righteous is for anyone and everyone who would believe in the work that Jesus has done. And, and look back at verse 25. It says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. That's the payment for our sins. That's the atonement. That's a whole nother uh, sermon. That's a whole nother uh, 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 theological term and, and doctrine of the Christian faith. That's, that's the atonement for our sins. But look at the second half of that verse. He was raised to life for our justification. So Jesus's lordship over all creation, over, over death, over hell, over the grave, over sin, then his, his, his resurrection comes. Paul says that, that Jesus now asserts his blood-bought right to declare whomever he wants to justified. Do you get that? No other God can make this claim. No other God is worthy of it. But Jesus, because of who he is, and what he suffered now has earned the right to look at your life and my life when he finds us in sin and says, I justify them. I put them in right standing 
with God. It's his right. Isn't that good news? Because he loves you. Let me just tell you the end from the beginning here. He loves you and wants to justify you. And it's his right to do so. Now we get to chapter five, which is our, our central text here this morning. And I'm gonna read 10 verses together. Again, they'll be on the screens. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse eight, but God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to, to him through his, the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Can you say amen to God's word this morning? Let's break this down just a little bit at a time. So in the first four chapters, Paul has explained that our only hope for justification is through faith and not works, not law keeping. And then at the beginning of chapter five, he begins it with the word therefore. What that means is that it's in light of the truth that he's unpacked and that he's covered in the first four chapters. Therefore, there's, there, there's a result now. You see that? You see the turn, the switch. First four chapters lays all this out. Justification is only by faith. Justification can never be by works. Just like Abraham, we are justified by faith in God. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, there's these results that come about. There are consequences of our faith. There are consequences of our justification. And for the person who's never heard about Jesus or is unsure about the gospel, you need to hear this this morning. And for those who've been walking in this for a long, long time, guess what? You need to hear this this morning and be reminded of this this morning of what happens to us in justification and what the result is, what the, what the fruit that's born out in the Christian life is and should be. There are two benefits that I see here in, in the text. So let's talk about quickly the benefits of our justification. The first one is peace with God. Let's go back to verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace in, in, in this sense of the word, in this context, um, is very much tied to the Hebrew idea of shalom type of peace. You've heard that preached in this pulpit before, that it's, it's wholeness, it's well-being, it's completeness in God. And, and we as human beings, we, prior to knowing Christ and sometimes after him, we try to chase peace in all kinds of other ways. We see what kind of material possessions we can gain. We see what kind of relationships we can exploit for our own benefit. We see what kind of power we can amass in this life, all looking for peace. And when we try that route, when we go that way, we find at the end, we don't have peace. We actually find that we're more empty and then we're more broken than we started. Others, good, good, good people, well-intentioned people, sometimes Christian people will try works to find peace, try to find works to please God. But works cannot lead to peace with God. It's, it, it's, it's impossible. We'll always feel like we have to work more. How do we know that we've ever worked enough? 
you and I working out our own salvation or working out our justification by doing good things is impossible. It's, it's a far cry to pay for our sins through, through good works. So we'll never find peace that way. But justification by faith cuts through all of that self-effort. It cuts through all of that self-directed spiritualism and it con confronts us with the truth that we don't wanna hear this morning and that is that we're not good enough. Our righteousness, it's like filthy rags before him. What we think is our best doesn't even come close to atoning and paying for our sins or justifying us. Only what Christ has done for us will ever be good enough to give us peace with God. That's why Paul wrote again in Colossians chapter one, verse 20, that God through the spilling of the blood of Jesus Christ was making peace through all creation by his blood that was shed on the cross. And so when you and I, when we personally accept that and, and put that into effect in our lives through faith to say that Jesus, what you did there on the cross was for me, paying for my sins, Paul says here that it ends the war. The conflict is over that we now have peace. It makes the human being whole again to be what God intended to be at peace and in relationship with his people, with his creation again. So the second benefit of justification here in Romans 5 is access to grace. You and I have been given access to grace. Look at the first part of, of verse two. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Look, look at the word structure. Leave it up there for just a moment on the screens. Through whom? Through whom? This is the interactive portion of the show. Don't be afraid to say the word Jesus. Jesus, yeah, through whom? We've been given access through Jesus, right? And, and he told his disciples very, very clearly that he was going to do this. And in John chapter 10, verse uh, seven, he's talking to them and he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Meaning, meaning the followers of, of God. I'm the gate, I'm the access point. I'm the, I'm the doorway for, they to come, for them to come in. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 says that he's the mediator of the new covenant. He's the, he's the, the go-between for us to have access to God and to his grace. Jesus is in the relationship with him uh, is the means by which we are given access to, to, to God himself. Because Jesus declares that we're justified He's given us access to what the scripture calls the throne of grace. And, and, and think about it, if, if, if you've heard stories or sermons or you've read the Old Testament, you've heard about the tabernacle or the temple, there was this place at the, at the innermost court, at the innermost place called the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go in there, we're told, just once a year and not without the blood of a sacrifice to, to atone for his own sins and the, and the sins of the people, but he would only go in there once a year. What, what, what Paul is saying here, what the New Testament teaches us is that you and I have now been given access, open doors, open pathway to not just once a year, but regularly, daily, multiple times a day, as often as we want to, through that relationship with Christ, to go into God's grace, to go into his very presence because there has been a perpetual declaration of Christ's blood over our lives to say they're justified. They're worthy. They're able to come in, able to be in the presence of God. That's why when we worship here on Sundays or when you're worshiping maybe at home or in your car, it's why when we pray, we can be assured that God is listening and that God is with us. Not because we're good singers or we're good prayers. Hey, we've got great music in this church. Do you, do you love the music in this church? Great, great stuff going on here. 
Pastor Lance is fantastic. Pastor Savannah, the whole team, they're awesome. But God does not show up here because we have good singers and good musicians. He shows up because we've been justified. Because Jesus has opened the door. He's opened the gate to say, come in to my presence. Come into the presence of God. You've been given access. And, and, and don't miss it. Don't get confused. Don't get that truth drowned out by the enemy or by naysayers in your life to say, hey, look at this circumstance or look at that circumstance. God's so far from you. He doesn't care for you. There's, there's no truth to that. Believe in the truth of God's word that Jesus has opened the door for you and he's opened the door for me and declared that not only do we walk through it, but the text says that this is the grace in which we now stand. Amen. It's not like we have to uh, go in and say, okay, sir, I'll be back later. I'm sorry. And we back out of grace. And then, okay, I've, I've humbled myself. I'm coming into grace. Now I back out. Now Jesus says, or Paul, Paul writes here, that because of what Jesus has done, we stand in the grace of God. It's where we, we live. It's where we, it's where we move. It's, it's, it's how we access him consistently, continually, as much as we want, as often as we'll say yes to him beckoning us to, to spend time and and commune with him. All that is possible because of what Jesus has done and because of his declaration over our lives that we're justified. We're now found worthy. We're in right standing to be in that place with God. So that's the, that's the state of justification that we're in. We have peace with God. We have access to his grace, the place in which we now stand. What kind of effect should that be producing in the lives of believers? I'm glad you asked. Second thing I wanna talk about is the joy of justification. Say joy. joy. The joy of our justification. The first one is this. We, were ho we hope, or excuse me, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right from the second part of, of Romans 5.2, it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, and hope here is not like human hope, like, uh, like, well, I hope I can make it, or I sure hope that doesn't happen, you know. It's, it's not that kind of hope at all. Hope in, in the glory of God is not to simply hope that, well, by God, I hope that someday he's glorified in some way and, you know, and just kind of wishing that those things would happen. No, just, just the opposite of that. This kind of Christian hope and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God is to know that, that God is glorified in all things and that his coming glory is, 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 is going to overwhelm us all that his coming glory is not something that we have to wish happens or kind of wring our hands a little bit and wonder, uh, you know, where are we gonna see the glory of God? Listen, it is put in the character of God to keep his word, to fulfill his promises, that we know that he is glorified and he, his glory will be on display for all to see. So we don't simply hope that God is glorified, but we live in the hope of the realization that his glory is going to be revealed and that, that now, for those of us who are justified, his glory is our good. His glory also has a benefit in our lives. Therefore, therefore we hope. It's for our good, so we, we hope for that to happen or we, 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 we wait and hope for that to happen because we've been redeemed. We've been adopted by him. And when our father is glorified, Oh man, that just rolls down. That just rolls down into, into our lives. That's why we pray things like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we pray, God, glorify yourself. God, glorify yourself through me, through, through, through my life, ultimately because he's worthy. 
right? That he is worth all that glory. And that's, that's what the world has is, is got the opportunity to see through the church. It's what the world will see with their eyes someday. But man, there's a benefit to us too. The glory of God is, is, is for our good. So we're, we're filled with the hope of the glory of God because the glory of God means our salvation, our forgiveness, our justification, our redemption, our access to grace, our own resurrection someday, our victory over anything that this life has to throw at us. Therefore, the Christian is filled with hope and filled with joy at the hope of the glory of God. The second joy in our justification, I think a lot of folks would like to forget or would like to to bypass, but we're not going to do that this morning. It's right there in the text, and I'm preaching verse by verse, so we're going to go there. Well, five of you thought that was funny. I should have prayed that be my goal, that God make me funny. I just pray that he change our lives. So if he does that, I'm okay. The second joy, the second joy of our justifications, and, and I don't expect too many amens here, is that we rejoice in our sufferings. Got a lot of groans, not a lot of amens, and that's okay. That's human. Listen, let's read the text and we'll talk about it. Verses three and four. Paul writes, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And I think that this is a topic that if we avoid it, we, we avoid so much good theology. We avoid so much comfort that is available and growth that is available in the Christian life and in the Christian walk. Because by nature, and again, it's, it's human, we do this, by nature, we, we, we try to avoid suffering. We, we pray it out of our lives, and there is nothing wrong with that. We should pray on all occasions the word of God teaches us. We should pray against sickness. We should pray against suffering. We should pray against evil and, 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 and ourselves, our own lives, our friends and family's lives. Listen, Jesus even taught us what? Pray for your enemies. So I'm not saying that it's not good to pray about those. Pray for it. But suffering as a believer, suffering as a child of God is entirely different than for those who aren't justified, those who have no hope. Suffering apart from the knowledge that we've been justified, it can seem pointless, it can seem cruel because suffering doesn't produce perseverance. Suffering in light of, of the knowledge that we've been justified, that's what produces perseverance. Suffering and, and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, that's what produces perseverance. And perseverance simply means to be steadfast or patient. It's, it's the condition of continuing on no matter what happens because I know how it's all going to end. And I know where I stand with God. And so we can rest assured this morning that nothing in our lives is wasted on God. He doesn't miss it, even suffering. He, he redeems and he uses everything in our lives to have this, have this effect in us. As a matter of fact, God doesn't not just ignore suffering. As I said a few minutes ago, he's the one who entered into his creation to alleviate suffering, to give it purpose, to suffer himself, to justify us, and to do away with sin once and for all. But what he knows is that if, if you and I will rejoice in suffering, those of us who are justified, if we stay steadfast, if we persevere through suffering and rejoice in it, then he's going to do something in us that, that, that we need, that we want, and that is to produce the character of Christ in us so that as we suffer, we're identifying with him. 
And then we can do what Jesus did. We can persevere like he did. We can continue in hope like he did. And then ultimately we overcome and get victory like, like Jesus did. See, Christian suffering, the way that we can rejoice is that we have the ability given by God because of justification to look beyond our present condition, our pain, our suffering, all that hurts real. I don't mean to minimize that at all this morning, but we can look beyond it and see the coming glory of God, which is for our good, and therefore rejoice. Rejoice in our sufferings. I love what Job said in Job 19. If you don't know the story of Job, is a righteous man, a good man, godly man, upright in all that he, that he did, the scripture says. But in a course of about a day, he lost everything. Kids died, lost all of his wealth, lost all of his, 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 his uh, animals and things that would you know, produce wealth in that, in that uh, early uh, Middle Eastern culture. Lost it all. Listen to what he says in verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives. And the end, he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Did you hear that confident assurance that, that, that Job has about his Redeemer and about the, the coming glory? Job, like Job, we're reminded of that coming glory and reminded of our justification that the Redeemer himself is coming. And that comes full circle in our lives and it produces in us the character of Christ, but then it overflows out of us into a hope. Did you hear what he said? How my heart yearns within me. Yearns for what? Yearns for the glory of God. I'm in the middle of suffering right now, but my heart is yearning for God to be glorified. I know the Redeemer's coming. I know he's gonna stand here on the earth. This is Old Testament stuff, guys. How much more clear now, given the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, do we know from his own words and his own mouth, he is coming again. We are going to see the Redeemer with our own eyes. And oh, no matter what happens, how our hearts should yearn within us for his coming for him to be glorified, for him to be revealed. Amen. How do we know? How, what assurance is there from this text? I'm gonna give you two assurances of our justification, proofs that, I proofs that I believe that we can stand on and believe that it's real, the assurance of our justification. The first one is the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, man, maybe, maybe the key text of this, or key verse of this text, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This hope in God, this hope that we are justified will not disappoint us. It's not going to deceive us. It's not going to let us down. It is assured. How? How do we know this? Paul says, because God gives us his Holy Spirit. And I just... Talk to the church for a minute. My heart, my, my prayer, sincerely, Stacy and I taught this to our kids and I'll say it to you. My heart is that more and more of our faith family here at North and really believers, people who call on Jesus around the world would open themselves up 
to the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is what we need. Kind of phrase we used with our kids raising them was, man, the Holy Spirit's the secret weapon of the Christian faith. But it's not a secret at all. It's not a secret at all. I mean, when Jesus was was leaving this earth, he said to his followers, he says, it's good for you that I'm going away. And what he followed that up with is that it's good for you that I go away because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And what was Jesus saying is that more than me here in this one place at this one time, if I go away and I send the Spirit to you, well, that's so much better for all of you that the infinite, omnipresent God can now be with all of us at, at, at any time in his omnipotence or his, his power, his omniscience, his, his all-knowing. And Jesus said, not only am I gonna send him to be among you, but he said, he's going to live in you. And so my heart is, is, is just aching. And if I could just make a plea to the church, if you haven't already done so, open yourselves up and invite the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God to indwell you, to empower you to live inside of you because it will confirm all of these things. This is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He's gonna convict the world of sin, sure. He's gonna do all that, but he's gonna remind you of everything that I said, Jesus said. He's gonna remind you of the truths of God's word. Paul said, we can be assured of our justification and the hope that it should be producing in us and the joy that it should be producing in us because God has poured out, he's filled up our lives with his love through the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us, the assurance of his love isn't just learned through the pages of scriptures. And please don't read into that statement that I'm somehow downing the word of God. Listen, our lives, our faith is based on the word of God and the men and women that fought to defend it and preserve it for thousands of years. We have it today. It is the the bedrock of, of, of our faith and our salvation. But learning this, has to be done in relationship with God that comes through the Holy Spirit. That when hard times come, that the Holy Spirit is there pouring the love of God into our hearts and assuring us that we're gonna make it. Why? Because he sets out the truths of God's word. All the things that Jesus taught us, he sets those out in front of us and say, you know how this is gonna end. You know that the glory of God is coming. Brett, you can make it. You can get through this. And so through our struggles and through our pain and through our sorrow, but through our victories, And through our overcoming, God pours his love continually into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and gives us assurance that we're gonna make it. We're gonna get to the end and the glory of God is gonna be revealed to the world and it's for our good too. It's gonna happen. Here's the second assurance. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Start in verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? If we're looking for assurance of our justification, that all of this is true, that God really does declare that we're right, that he gives us his spirit, that he fills us with love. He calls us to hope, to persevere, to see the character of Christ uh, be formed in us and to have joy along the way. Then to me, this is it. The assurance is this, that this is how he moves towards us when we're at our worst. 
Think about that. When we're found to be full of sin, dead in our transgressions, the scripture says, separated from God, enemies of the cross, apathetic to the gospel, uncaring towards him and towards our fellow man, says that God demonstrates his love for me at that point by dying for me. Who does that? There's no other other world religion that talks about the love of God in this way, talks about redemption in this way. Only our God does this. So here's some good news this morning. If you've been told by people in your life that you're nothing, that you're unlovable, that you're no good, maybe you've been recently fired from a job or you failed a class and people are disappointed in you, you're in a relationship and you've been cheated on or you've been abandoned and you feel like nothing, Jesus says to you, I'll take you. I died for you. I'll take you just the way you are. You don't have to get cleaned up before you come to me. But in your lowest state, in your condition that others may have said, you're worthless, you're nothing, you're not worth anything. Jesus says, man, that's worth dying for. You're worth dying for. And what he would say to us this morning is that he has made peace with God on our behalf that he has given you and me access into his grace, not just to taste and draw back and get it one more time and draw back. No, to stand in his grace. Jesus says, I'm filling you with my joy, even in suffering. I'm forming my character in you. I'm causing you to hope and rejoice in the coming glory of God. We have this assurance, church, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then Paul heaps even more assurance on us. In verse 10, he said, look, if this is how God treats us when we're his enemies, when we're at our worst, now having been reconciled, now having been justified, how much more will we be saved through Christ's life? How much more love and grace and peace and hope Might God be longing to pour into our lives and the lives of our family and the lives of this community today? For some in the room, I understand that that step one may be moving towards this this message of Jesus, this grace and forgiveness that he offers and saying, yeah, that's that's me. I I need to say yes. I need to appropriate what he did on the the cross, paying for, for sins for my sins. That's step one. Say, Lord, yes, I I give my life to you. Justify me, Lord. But for others in the room, I think for many people maybe in our room, it's, it's to walk away from this text, it's to walk away from this message and understand the grace that has been afforded to us in Jesus Christ. I am confident that there are people in the room who are tired, tired of working and striving, trying to keep all the right rules and all the religiosity that that the world has to offer us. You're trying not to step out of line so that you can keep God happy with you and you're wore out. To you, justification by faith says you already have peace with God. You're standing in the place of grace. Now quit trying to work for it and go live in it. Not abandon holiness, not abandon doing what's, what's right, but being driven to holiness because we want to be more and more like our God because we'll continue to hope in his coming glory. We'll continue to hope in our suffering so that the character of Christ is formed in us, that no matter what happens up and down, up and down in the Christian life, that we will continue to move forward because of the grace in which we stand. 
and the coming glory that's for all of us. I pray that we all, wherever we stand on that understanding or that access of justification this morning, I pray that we walk out of here changed. Understanding what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Understanding the declaration that he's made over our lives. We've been put in right standing with God. It's available for all of us. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we've looked into your word. We're amazed by it. We're overwhelmed by it. God, I pray that you would tender and soften every heart in this room, maybe every person that's watching online, to understand the depths of your love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, I pray for the person in this room that may not know you, may not have yet taken that first step of faith to say yes to you, to say yes to your salvation, your lordship, your leadership in their life, and to believe what you did on the cross was payment for their sins. I pray for the person that's been walking with you a long time, God. Give us a fresh dose, a fresh understanding, a fresh appreciation of your grace, the fact that you accomplished your death and your resurrection. Lord, what we could never earn, what we could never work for. Change us today, oh God. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I would just ask if that's you in that first category to say, Pastor Brett, I, I need to respond to the gospel today. I need to respond to Jesus' offer of being justified. I know what my past looks like, but this future with him sounds a whole lot better than what I've been experiencing up to this point in my life. I need a brand new start in him, and I wanna say yes, if that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to do something bold. Would you lift your hand here in this room? I wanna pray for you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Come up just a moment while I look around. I wanna pray for you this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Those of you who raised your hand, just pray something simple like this. You know, the scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. You just pray something like Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know the things that I've done wrong, but uh, I've heard the good news about you. Maybe today for the first time or multiple times in my life, but today, God, I'm saying yes to following you. I'm saying yes to giving my life to you. I believe what you did on the cross paid for my sin. It allows me to be right with God. So I make you the Lord of my life. Help me. Help me to take Next steps, God, that would, would honor you, that would live with hope of your coming glory, that would live with joy, even in suffering, that would see your, your character and your Christ-likeness produced in me, God. I want that. Change me, cleanse me, make me yours today. And God, I pray for the church. I pray for those who are just human enough to think that this whole idea of godliness is somehow a load we have to carry. It's somehow a burden we have to bear. God, I pray that you'd free your church today. Free them with a picture of the price you paid. Free them with a picture of your holiness, your innocence, your, your, your purity, choosing to lay down your life for us to justify us, to bring us into the family of God. 
remind us that you and you alone have that blood-bought right to declare that we're free from sin, to declare that we have peace with your Father, to declare that we have access to come in and to stand in the place of grace. God, free your church to love you, to appreciate what you've done, and to go and tell the world this good news of what you've done to justify us, what you've done to fill us with hope. God, I pray for those that are suffering, that today there would be a a different outlook to see that you're at work, that nothing that we're walking through, no heaviness, no grief, no, no trial that we're facing happens to us apart from your watchful eye and your caring hands. You affect your work in our lives. And God, I pray for this this whole faith family this morning. And I pray, be glorified in us. Be glorified in us, oh God. Give us eyes like Job to see your coming glory and to see that it's for our good and that you are going to restore all things. And we're a part of that. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you uh, made a decision for Christ today, um, amen. Amen. If you want to really celebrate, they, they put this little note up here at the bottom of the screen. Nine people made a decision for Jesus today. Praise God. If, that, if you're one of those nine who raised your hand today, or maybe you've made a decision in recent weeks, we have something called our Grow Team. I'm part of it. We meet right down here um, uh, in front of this stage after each and every service. The goal of the Christian life and the goal of this church is not to get you to raise your hand. As proud as we are that you made that decision, our goal is to help you be a lifelong follower of Jesus, to do what Brooklyn did, to follow in water baptism, to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. That's what this grow team is for. If you've made a decision in recent weeks or you've never talked with anybody about your decision to, uh, to follow Christ, our grow team is gonna be down here. We wanna talk to you. Give us two minutes, please. Give us two minutes. We're gonna put a devotional guide in your hand about walking with Jesus. We're gonna talk to you probably about small groups, maybe water baptism. Whatever time you give us, we'll, we'll talk with you, we'll pray with you, but take next steps. Don't let it just be a hand that goes up in this service and making a decision between you and God. The body of Christ is here for a reason. We wanna help you grow. So if you're one of those folks, uh, come and talk to our grow team. Second thing I would say is that life groups are kicking off this fall. So you probably saw it on the way in, but out in our atrium, out in our lobbies, our our life group leaders, many of them are out there uh, to talk to you, to give you information about fall life groups. You wanna go deeper in the word, deeper in your relationship with God and others, go by and talk to one of our life group leaders and and find a group that meets um, at a time and a location and a topic uh, that all works for you. If you would stand with me, give me the privilege to bless you as we go. Before I do that, let me just say thank you. Thank you for your outpouring of love to the Walters family and to this whole staff. I mean, some of y'all are checking in on us too, and I'm, I'm humbled by that, but, but, but thank you for your prayer for our pastor and his family. Um, the outpouring has just been overwhelming, and, uh, and we can feel your love, and, uh, and thank you so much. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you, and grant you his peace. In Jesus' name, let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.